great day to be in God's house. Who was at the football game last night? Couple of you, all right. Who was watching it last night? I hear it was a draw. God favours everyone in Iowa. Is that right? No, apparently not. All right, but it is... <laughs> But it is good to be in church no matter what happened at the football last night, right? Come on now. Oh, man. Uh, Saturday night service, um, full. <laughs> that is never true when Iowa plays Iowa. We have just made peace with it. In future, we may actually just put a sign up saying, don't worry about it. <clears throat> just don't worry about it. No. It's just the Newmans. You don't want to hang out with the Newmans, don't worry. In fact, bring your McDonald's, we'll eat together, you know. But uh, you know what, and I'm not even judging you. Do you know why? Because I know that nobody would watch the football and not come to church. They just choose to come on Sunday instead, right? Come on. That's what a Christian does, right? Right? The non-Christians, ones that pretend and only come on Saturdays, and if there's a football game, they don't come at all different people. That ain't us. That ain't you. Come on, right? Anyway. Wow. Just judging. My phone won't unlock. There we go. It's not a phone. What's this called? iPad. It won't unlock. So. I'm excited to preach today. <clears throat> um, the title of my message today is A Father's Faith. And I am going to preach to people who um, are parents. I'm going to preach to moms and dads. Hands up if you're a mum or dad in this room today, right? Cool, most of you. Some of you, you might be like, oh man, this message ain't gonna mean nothing to me. Yet you amen to the sermon on homosexuality and you weren't gay. Hello. You amen the sermon on abortion, you hadn't had one. Right, come on now. So I need you to amen, come on, for the parents in the room that are gonna be empowered and even released of some fears and anxieties today. Can I get an amen, right? Right? Because we're here together as the body of Christ, aren't we, right? We're a family. We're gonna encourage each other. We're gonna uplift each other. We're gonna pray for each other. And we're gonna see people's anxieties and fears left at the altar in today's service. So welcome to church. God is gonna move in your life. God is gonna bless this house. God is gonna bless this family, amen. Now, if you're new, welcome to church. My name is Jesse. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, we're glad that you're here. We've got a gift for you out in the lobby. Go and see one of the fluorescent yellow folks out there. They'll hook you up with your free gift. It's a Be Holy shirt and, uh, and we, we, it's free. It's just to say thanks for coming to church today. Uh, we got those in the lobby in Audubon and in Owine. We got them everywhere that Eternity Church is. So, uh, so go get your free gift after the service. So, uh, also want to let you know we're walking through Genesis today. Uh, um, this, sorry, this year. If you came to church at Eternity like a year ago and you haven't been yet and on your way to church, you were thinking to yourself, I wonder what they're preaching on now. Still Genesis, okay? <clears throat> so we're still doing that. We're 22 chapters deep, and we've probably got about nine months left. Is that what we worked out, honey? About nine months? Anywhere between nine and 49 months left in Genesis, okay? And so 
Uh, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 22. You can look that up, Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to read from verse 1 through to verse 8. Uh, and I've got some more good news as well. Maybe you, were, you, know, you woke up today and you thought to yourself, you know what, you know a sermon I need to hear today? I need to learn about child sacrifice. Well, congratulations, you're in luck. That's actually miraculously what I'm going to preach on today. And so, so, you know, amazing, isn't it? You know, God knows what you need to hear. So we're going to talk about that today. Genesis chapter 22, you got it? All right, all right, all right. Uh, it says, and after these things, after what things? Well, just before this, there was a treaty uh, between Abimelech and Abraham, and then there was also a bit of a, um, a little bit of a scuffle between Abimelech's men and Abraham's men. Before that, um, um, uh, Ishmael and Hagar packed their bags and were sent on their way. And then after these things, God tested Abraham. Can I let you know that God does in fact test us? Okay, people are like, God doesn't test us. No, God does test us, but God does not tempt us. God's not going to put sin in front of you and be like, you want some? You want to try? This is delicious. No, God doesn't tempt us to sin. God doesn't tempt us to walk away, but He does test our faith. Amen. And so after these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. I just love the, um, the similarity between this test and the first call. Abraham, go from your father's place to a place that I'll tell you about. And Abraham left. Abraham, go sacrifice your son at a mountain that I'll tell you about. And Abraham left. On the third day, he lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men that were with him, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there uh, and worship and come back to you. Uh, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. Just like how Jesus carried the wood for his sacrifice up the mountain. Isaac also carried it. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went on together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a um, pretty difficult story to understand 4,000 years later in our world, in our cultures. So God, we just pray that you help us to learn in this moment. Um, we give you permission, not that you need permission to do anything, but I guess we're saying, Lord, that we are willing participants in whatever you want to do this morning. God, we're with you. We want to honor you. Whatever you want to do in our lives, if there's anything that needs to change in our lives, we're willing participants. We receive your word. If there's anything that needs to die in our lives today, Lord God, we're willing participants. We want to receive your word. And so God, over these next, you know, 50 or so minutes, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would move in our lives and help us, Lord God, empower us to make the change that you want us to make in our lives and in our church. 
Lord God, we honor you and we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. You may take your seats. So let me set this up for you. So in, um, if we rewind a bit, in Genesis chapter 12, God made a promise to Abraham. I talked about the roller coaster ride a little bit last week, and you can go and get that message uh, on uh, YouTube or Spotify or Facebook or all the places that um, somebody put some things. And, um, and, and we talked about that roller coaster ride, right? Because God makes a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And we see Abram's faith just rise sky high, and we see Abram's faith just, just drop just so low. We see him lying about the state of his marriage. We see him with such great faith that we see the beginning of imputed righteousness, that's righteousness is given to us from God. We see him rescuing people in townships. We see him lie again. We see him pray for a barren household. They all get healed. At the same time, Sarah is healed also. She gets pregnant um, with Isaac, gives birth to Isaac. And, then, and, and so what happens is 25 years after God speaks and makes a promise to Abraham, or actually made the promise to Abram, um, then 25 years later, Abraham receives the promise, right? Yay, time to celebrate. By the way, I love that, um, I love just, I don't know if you noticed there, but God promised it to Abram and he gave it to Abraham, okay? And sometimes you need to see a change in you, who you are, your identity, how you live your life before what was promised to the old you is received by the new you, right? Uh, but that's a whole sermon for another day. Um, but, but there's ups and downs, right? And so after all of that, <coughs> Abram has the promise. After the wars and the fears and the lies and the battles and after sojourning and traveling for years and years and years, here it is, right? And you would think that now it's time for Father Abraham to work in the field with his son and sort of just sail off into the sunset. Like, you know, you watch any good movie that, 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 that there's some exciting possibility presented to them and then they go through some drama uh, and then they fix that drama and all their dreams come true and, and the movie's over, right? And, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I love Notting Hill. Uh, Lauren and I watched Notting Hill. You know, she's just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. Like, say yes, bro, you know. And, um, and so what happens is he meets this beautiful girl. Uh, she's famous. He doesn't think that can work. She ghosts him a little bit, and she ghosts him a little bit. And then they go through drama, and at the end, they're together, and they get married, and the movie's done, right? And so if, if this were a movie, you know, like, like it, it would sort of Abraham would receive the promise, Isaac would arrive, uh, and then it would kind of like just start zooming out as a time lapse happens, showing all the generations that come after Isaac and, and how all of them are just blessing everybody in the world. But that's not how this ends. And that's, this is not a movie, right? This is a real life story. So in this one, the promise arrives and now, at the moment that you'd think Abraham is just going to relax and chill and sow into his son for the rest of his life, he's actually confronted then with the biggest test that he will ever have to deal with in his entire life, right? Confronted with the biggest test that none of us would ever want to deal with. Abraham has passed tests in the past. He has failed tests in the past. And now he's confronted with the biggest test of all. And God appears to Abraham for the second last time. And he says, Abraham, 
Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham got up early the next morning, saddled his donkey, and off he went. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him. Cut him into pieces and burn him on top of a mountain. So Abraham rose up early the next morning, saddled his donkey, and off he went. So as I said, the title of my message today is A Father's Faith. How do you get that kind of faith? And I'm not saying we ought to have the faith where we're going to be like, burn, baby, burn, right? But how do you have the kind of faith where no matter what God says, you're like, yes, Lord, let's go. I also toyed with calling this sermon um, Parenting with Faith in a World of Chaos. Parenting with Faith in a World of Chaos. Let me set that up for you. So I want to rewind a little bit. And then after that, we will deal with the huge elephant that's in the room. You know, the big elephant uh, with kill your son written on its massive gray behind. We'll deal with that elephant in a few minutes. But first, I want to look at what world were they living in? Number one, it's super easy to look at this whole story through the lens of 2023, right? Which, FYI, we ain't that much better. But, but, but it's easy to look at it through that lens. But this is around about 1890 B.C., Okay, so it's about 4,000 years ago that this is happening. And in verse 22 of, uh, of chapter 21, it says, At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me or my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And so Abraham said... I will swear. Now, the cool thing about this story is, um, is that this is a moment of grace and mercy for Abraham, right? See, before that, that was when Abraham rolled into those she is my sister conversations that he was in the habit of uh, doing. And then, and then Abimelech says, look, can you just not be like that? Any- I recognize you're a man of God. I recognize you're a prophet of, uh, of God and that God is with you uh, no matter what you do. And so could we just not have that kind of relationship anymore? Let's make a treaty. So they make a treaty and a little scuffle breaks out over a well that Abraham had dug. Abimelech's men had seized a well that Abraham dug and needed. And wells are Excuse me, wells are really important places, right? Uh, people need water, people, uh, cattle need water, crops need water, right? So we tend to gather around wells, we tend to settle around wells. In Australia, um, you'll see that 90% of Australians live on 3% of the land, right? Uh, over 80% of the people live by the coast, uh, where the seawaters are and where the fresh water flows, because almost the entire inland of the country is a desert. See, people love water, people need water, and so, so what they tend to do is they tend to, to, to make a home where the water is at, or they'll, or, they'll make, uh, or they'll make a well somewhere so that they can stop there. People who are sojourning or, or traveling through, so to speak, I should say, uh, don't tend to build wells. They'll go from place that has water to place that has water, and if you're lucky, God will say, uh, you know what, just smack this rock and you'll get some water, right? And, um, but they don't tend to build wells, all right? And the fact that Abraham dug a well is a pretty big deal. And not only any well, it was well flowing so strong with water that it was actually worth taking. It was worth seizing. That shows us 
that after, Ab- uh, after uh, Isaac was born, that Abraham had planned to chill out there for a little while. They had planned to uh, put roots down. They even planted a tamarisk tree, right? And they, they, they planted a tree. They built a well, and they planned to stay there for a little while with his son. So Abraham and Abimelech, they resolved the issue. Um, sorry, they resolved the issue, and they continue in the treaty. Abraham gives him seven lambs. They uh, named the place Bathsheba um, because they swore an oath over seven lambs and water, and apparently that's what that means, right? And um, then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up. They returned to their land. Uh, Abraham planted the tamarisk tree in Bathsheba, and, they, and he called on the name of Yahweh right there, uh, the everlasting God. And verse 34, Abram, Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. So, right, all that to say this, where was Abraham, <clears throat> okay? Where did Abraham find himself? He was in the land of who? The Philistines. Abraham was in the land of the Philistines. That's where he dug his well, okay? That's who lived around him. He stayed a long time in the land of the Philistines. Now, the, probably the best way to visualize them would be to think of Vikings, okay? They used boats. They overtook peoples and places all around them. They were big. They were strong. They were violent. They killed everyone and everything that got in their way. They and the others around them were known to sacrifice their children to the gods, okay? And this is where Abraham was raising his son, okay? Abraham was raising his son surrounded by Philistines, okay? That's where he is. He's not just chilling out uh, in rural Iowa. Uh, He's not chilling out in rural Nebraska and digging wells. He dug his well and planted his tree surrounded by enemies. Makes his treaty with Abimelech even more important that he deals kindly and godly and rightly with Abimelech so that he has uh, somebody to come to his aid. But that's who surrounds him. Now, he's not like Lot. Abraham's not dwelling with the people of the world. He's dwelling in the myth. They, They surround him. They're not with him, okay? So that's the context of the when and the where that this is unfolding. So this here is the chapter where we see Abraham's faith has got to graduate from the faith of a child of God uh, and add to that the faith of a father, okay? Some say that, that Isaac was between 15 and 20 years old when this happened and most Jewish Scholars teach that Isaac was about 35 when this happened. So Isaac wasn't a little infant. Nobody uh, believes that. Nobody assumes that. Uh, all, all scholars believe he was somewhere between 15 and 35 years old. So either way, to me and to many scholars, or to most it seems, that Isaac has been raised with at least a similar faith that Abraham has because Isaac seems to be some sort of willing participant in this. See, if he was 15 to 18, or if he was 35, Abraham is between 115 and 135. It's not hard to resist a 120-year-old dude, right? My eldest is about 14. I'm pretty confident that if someone in this room's 120 and you want to tie up my 14-year-old, 
He's going to beat you. Like, it's not going to happen, okay? Abraham actually dies not too long after this. So most sort of scholars tend to believe that he was some sort of willing participant in what's happening here. So let's read on. From verse 5, he says, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. I took that. You know, he's my father. Um, you know, where's the offering? And Abraham said, God will provide. And then they come to the place in verse 9 uh, of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on top of the altar on top of the wood. Now, we believe, and many scholars believe, I'm not a scholar, but many of them do believe, but it, it obviously isn't saying it here, but it's that Isaac seemed to share his father's faith. He'd been raised in a way that believes that God is good and that believes that God does what he says he's going to do. See, step one for raising kids in a world of chaos and confusion is actually to teach them to have faith in God, right? Show them what it means to have faith in God. Show them what it means to obey God in hard times. Isaac had a dad that he saw living in obedience to God above everybody else, right? See, listen, sometimes kids need time with dad. They need to do hard things with dad. They need to be stretched with dad. Now, look, I know that there's some single moms in this room and my hat goes off to you. I'm so proud of you. Keep doing a good job. You're amazing. God bless you. We pray for you. But you've got to make sure there's some godly masculinity in your kid's life too. Whether it's grandpa, whether it's uncle, whether it's a youth leader, there's got to be somebody in your kid's life that is a godly masculinity, especially for your sons, okay? The world says that the, the problem in this world is masculinity. Um, and, and, and I would say that given that 73% of elementary school teachers are women and that 43% uh, of households are single mom only, and so that means that close to 50% of kids have no male influence in their lives from, uh, from birth to graduating elementary school, that perhaps the problems in our world stem from a lack of masculinity. <clears throat> Why I don't understand blaming the thing that's missing, right? And so um, now that doesn't mean that all, all, uh, all expressions of masculinity are healthy, right? But that the absence of masculinity is absolutely unhealthy. Can I get an amen, right? <clears throat> so I, I, I imagine this story going significantly different if mum was there that day. Anybody else, right? Like if, if, if mum's up there and it's a family outing, Abraham going to need two nights. You know, it's going to be a whole different story, isn't it, right? But kids need time alone with dad. You've got to not read this through a modern day lens. You've got to read this through a different lens. Remember, this is 4,000 years ago, okay? So don't read this through this modern day lens. Read it through the lens where all the kids surrounding their community are wondering when their parents are going to throw them off a cliff as a sacrifice to their gods. Read it through that lens. Read it through the lens where little Isaac snuck out into the woods one day and he met a couple of Philistine lads. And he's like, hey, boys, what are you doing? They're like, we're running away from mom and dad. They're going to throw us off a cliff. And he's like, what? 
And then they run into each other again a few months later, and he's like, where's little Goliath Jr., you know? The precursor to the other Goliath, right? And uh, the other little friend says, oh, his parents threw him off a cliff, sacrificed him. Read it through that lens. We're in the communities that surround him. Kids are getting launched. Read it through those lens. And when his moment comes, he knows that his God, because he's seen his God actually move. He's seen his God actually is real. He's seen his God actually provide for them, actually protect them. He's heard the stories that his dad said that even though I this, God that. Even when I went there, God did this. And when these people came at us, God looked after us, right? He's heard the stories. He's seen God at work. He knows his God is real. So when his moment comes, he knows his God can raise him from the dead. No doubt shares his father's faith. But this story is not about Isaac, it's about Abraham today. What was his father's faith? Well, Hebrews 11 shares a bit about his father's faith in the great chapter of the heroes of the faith. I'm actually going to preach a sermon the last week of uh, September on heroes of the faith. And then we're going to have a heroes of the faith month all through October. And it's going to bless your heart. It's going to bless, honestly, just the world in general. And it's going to be exciting. But, but in Genesis chapter 11, we see that it says, now, now, the, now what I said before, there's a lot of assumption. I told you scholars believe Abraham was a willing participant, right? But, but, and, and I'll be honest with you. The Bible does not say that. It does not not say that, but it seems that way. Am I right? You know? Now, the Bible does say this, okay? By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So what's he saying here? So Abraham, here's a word from God. Through Isaac, the son of Sarah and the son of Abraham, that kid, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Through that kid, I'm going to make your name great. Through that kid, your offspring will be innumerable. Through that kid, your offspring shall be named. And he considered it, says in verse 19, and Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Did you know at this point there hadn't been a resurrection yet? Did you know that? That's faith. People here are like, well, you know what? I I would like to see it so I can believe it. There had never been a resurrection or even talk of before this chapter, okay? But Abraham, we read about in Hebrews that Abraham believed that God was able to raise his son, the promise of God, from the dead, Abraham's faith had risen from, I don't even know if God can protect me from people who want to steal my wife and kill me, all the way to, whatever you want from me, God, you got it. I'll do it. I'll trust you in faith with the life of my most precious gift, the life of my son. And I know, Lord, that even if he dies, you will bring him back alive again. Imagine having that kind of faith when you'd never heard of or seen a resurrection before. Did, who, who even, what? Raised from the dead? I, Abraham invented that sentence. Come on, right? Like you've heard it before. He hadn't. He strung those new words together that God could raise him from the dead. Abraham passes the test. 
And it seems to me as though his son shares his father's faith. Amen. Then the story continues. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And I imagine if I was Abraham, I'd go, yes. You know what I mean? Like, that would be the quickest, loudest, boldest, yes, Lord, here I am, that you will ever say in your life. Anybody else, right? And God said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. And then we see the incredible story unfold where there's a ram in the thicket and, 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 and God provides a sacrifice. And I've done a whole sermon on that um, about a year ago. And, and maybe we can post a link to that online so you can get some more um, context of that as well. But God appeared to Abraham for the last time. Right here. And before we continue the sermon, let's deal with that elephant in the room first, shall we? Does God delight? in child sacrifice. Does God delight in child sacrifice? No, he does not. God never intended for Isaac to be sacrificed. God never intended for Isaac to be killed, as evidenced by his interference and how he comes to prevent the sacrifice and uses the story to show us that God will always provide a ram in the thicket. See, God actually abhors child sacrifice. And in preventing this sacrifice, God distinguishes himself from the demons that are worshipped by the people who surround Abraham. See, God creates a distinction now. See, all around you, here's what happens. All around you, here's what your enemies do. All around you, here's what the demon gods do. But, but I am different from them. All around them, people are sacrificing their children to demons, to demons like Molech and things like that. And the story shows that, that though the world may choose to sacrifice their children in an attempt to atone for their sins, God himself atones for our sins. God provides the sacrifice for our sins. Amen. And, and, and anyone who calls for the death of children are influenced or possessed by demons. Anyone that calls for it is being, are either possessed by or are being influenced by the demonic. See, we, Abraham, Abraham, God, God, Abraham, we do not kill our children in an effort to make our lives better. No, 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 no. We don't, we don't do, we, we trust God to provide. We trust God to help us in our most difficult situations. We trust God to bring strength that we're going to need to be a parent. We trust God to equip us for the job that we're completely unprepared for and ill-equipped to do. But, but God will give us everything that we need. If we, if we just humble ourselves and ask God for help, God will raise it up in us. Amen. God tells, shows us that, 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 that no matter the circumstances of a child's conception, the child is a, is a creation of God, valuable from conception all the way to death. And the wealth level or the lack of wealth in the, in the mother's or the father's life is not what determines whether its life would be worth living. So we trust God. We don't need to sacrifice our children or our unborn children on the altar of Molech in an effort to live a wealthier, or a happier life. We trust God to provide for us no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance. It does not matter. God will provide. Amen. That's faith. And our world is not a lot different than that. Since Roe v. Wade passed in the US, 
We've seen over 60 million children have been sacrificed in an effort to make the mother or father's life easier or better. Now listen to me. It's almost like they're they're like, man, we messed up. Let's sacrifice this child to atone for our mistake. Now I want to pause and listen to me. If you've had an abortion, I love you. You're welcome here. And like last week's sermon for yesterday, mercy. Mercy. You don't have to tell me. You don't, if you want to serve in our kids' church, you don't have to write, I had an abortion. It's none of my business. The only part that's my business is this, telling you that for yesterday's mistakes, there is mercy. Mercy, 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 mercy. For today and tomorrow, there's grace and truth. And the grace is that God can give you the strength to live His way moving forward. Amen. So mercy for yesterday. Let's do better tomorrow. Can someone say amen, right? Amen. And thank God for a SCOTUS bold enough to admit we were wrong. You know, we want revival in America. Ready for me to go off topic? Here we go. We want revival in America, right? Revival comes after repentance. We're, we all, we're, revival, Lord! Well, we just don't repent. <laughs> and I'm not talking about individually, right? Like individually, you don't have to tell the world what you did. Just repent, stop doing it, and start living God's way. Say, sorry, Lord, please forgive me, right? I, I'm talking about like nationally, there are things that as a nation we have done that if we want revival, we're going to need to turn around on, Right? That we're going to have to be like, you know what? We were wrong. And I thank God, I thank God that, I be- that repentance has started in America. Amen? That repentance has started in America. It may not be complete, but it has started. And there are many states now that are, that are shifting course. And I thank God for that. And so remember, when you think about how bad America is, just remember that we, that we reversed course on something. And if he's done it before, he can do it again. Amen? Amen? But this isn't a sermon about abortion. That sermon can be found on our website. But know this, as a Christian in this place, whether you've done it or not, you're forgiven now, but God abhors child sacrifice and he abhors those who stand idly by as it's happening. In Leviticus, after this, um, in, in chapter 20, it says, any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who gives any of their children to Molech shall surely be put to death, and the people of the land shall stone him with their stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man, listen, and, and if the people of the land close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan will cut him off from among his people, uh, him and all who follow him in um, that, you know, there's some uh, after Molech. So, the Bible's kind of nuts, isn't it? God hates child sacrifice, and he hates when his people ignore it. Okay? So when people say, just be quiet, just know that God hates it when you're quiet. God hates it when you're quiet. Amen? You don't have to be mean. And I'm not always the best at um, saying it loud and kind. 
or at saying it quietly and harsh. You know, it's, you know, it's up and down, we make mistakes, you know, like let's just get better and better, right, as we go. But definitely God wants us to not be quiet about things like this. Amen? So, but in this encounter, what do we see? In this encounter between God and Abraham, we see God showing Abraham that we don't atone for our sins. God atones for our sins. He provides the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice is Jesus Christ who carries the wood up the hill and is nailed to that cross. Amen. He provides a sacrifice. We don't throw our promises off a cliff in an effort to atone for our mistakes. God does not change his mind. God still hates that. God made you a promise. Children are still a gift from God. No matter who you are, no matter what the promise of God in your life is, you don't have to throw it off a cliff to atone for your sins. God provides the sacrifice. God does not change his mind. If God made a promise in your life and you jacked it up, you messed it up, you completely destroyed your life, guess what? Come back to the Lord. Repent. Say, Lord, Lord, that's yesterday. I receive your mercy. Help me today. Give me the grace today to live in the truth of your word tomorrow. And you will see the promises of God are the same today as they were back then before you messed up your life. And we've got, we've found ourselves in a world now that's just not so dissimilar as far as the morals and the ethics of the world go. We sit there and we judge. We're like, that was a jacked up world. But we see many of the same kinds of evil that Abraham saw in his world. Child sacrifice, child mutilation, hate, murder, sexual immorality, adultery, lust, greed, lies, violence, selfishness. So much of it is promoted as good and right by the world that surrounds us. And those who oppose such things are derided and abused, and cancelled, even fired from jobs occasionally, kicked off boards of their own companies sometimes. And sometimes it can seem so hard to imagine receiving, let alone maintaining the promise in a world like that. I don't know what God promised you, but when he promised it to you, it didn't feel like this. And now the world feels like this, and you're like, can that even happen in this world? How could I possibly keep the, the job or the business or, or the call that God put on my life that I heard from him 25 years ago? And, and I believed it then, but the world wasn't like it is now. How could I possibly run a business with these convictions in my heart in this world? Well, if God promised it back then, he knew what it would be like today, and it's still true. Amen? And it's still true. But particularly as a parent, it's hard to raise kids in a world of chaos and confusion. Like, it's easy for me to have faith for me. Lauren's got faith for Lauren. I've got faith for me. We've got faith for each other. We trust God. We live in a world. We see God move. The world's crazy, and we're like, God, you still provide. You're amazing. God, you still heal. You're amazing. God, you still restore. You're amazing. God, you still answer when we call. You're amazing. You deliver on your promises, and, and, and that's getting easier and easier. It used to be a bit harder, but now it's getting easier. Sometimes I go through valleys, but I come right back up the other side, and I'm like, yeah, God's good, and your mercy endures forever. Yeah. But it's a whole other thing to trust God with your kids. It's a whole other thing to trust God with your grandkids. I love my kids so much. They're the bomb. I love them. It was hard dropping them off at their first day of school. Now, Lauren, she was a stay-at-home mom for most of our kids' lives. 
just until like the last year or two. And here's the thing. Um, after that, when we dropped the kids off at school, Lauren's like, okay, get out. <laughs> Me, I was more like, oh, no. How will they survive this? Will they even survive? Will they be okay? I'm like crying, peeking in the window, you know, like, is he all right? Is she okay? What's happening, you know? And uh, Lauren's a bit like that too with movies, you know, like, like oh, I'm a, oh, I'm a man. But when it comes to like rom-coms and kids going to school, I'm the chick, she's the dude, right? <laughs> and like the movie will be on and I'm like bowling my eyes out and Lauren's like, you're embarrassing. You know, like, like, I've never seen that woman cry in a movie, ever. I've seen her cry a lot, you know. Like, it's usually followed by, it's fine. You know? We're different, right? But, like, it's hard trusting your kids at school, isn't it? Right? It's hard. Trust they're going to be okay. Trust they won't get bullied. Lauren got a phone call a couple of weeks ago. We've had five kids go to school. Five kids. Five kids, never been called to the principal's office. Our fifth kid has been in school for a week and a half. And the principal calls my wife because Henry's been having a punch on in the playground. We're like, we got through four kids, 10 years of schooling, and now we're having fights in the playground. Little Henry. That's Henry. Good job. He's the youngest. He's had to fight for every scrap of food that he wants. You know what I mean? <coughs> He's going to do the same in the parking lot. And, I mean, at the, at the school, not the parking lot. I don't even want to say that. But probably in the parking lot too, right? He's on speakerphone and talking to his mom. And, and the teacher says, do you want to say anything to your mom? And he's like, I just love you so much. <laughs> it's like he thinks he did that fight for her honor or something. You know what I mean? He's like... I killed him, Mom, I got him, you know. Henry tells us the kid pushed him over, so he got up and beat him. But Henry's five, and it probably went the other way. You know what I mean? Like, any excuse. I, don't, I have nothing against the other kid. Henry is crazy, so. But it's hard to trust dropping your kids off, that they won't get hurt, that they won't have daddy issues because I left them at school all day because of the one time I literally forgot to pick them up and half an hour later got a phone call from the teachers saying, you know, you should get your kids, you know. It's hard to trust God with your kids, to trust that God will do for them what he did for me. It's heartbreaking waiting for your kids to finally connect with God in a real and personal way. Because you know God's real because you've prayed and he's answered and he's come through in your life. But now you're waiting for it to click in their life. And it's hard to believe that it's going to happen in their lives too. I know what it's like to have a kid say, I'm not even sure if this is real. I'm not sure yet. So he prays a prayer, God, here's how I need it. I need to know that you speak. That was his, you know, I need to know that you speak. And then they go on a camp and you get a text and God spoke to me. And again, I'm out the front crying. And she teared up too this time, a little bit, right? Like we know it's hard, isn't it? Waiting to see your kids grow in their faith. I hated seeing Judah have his first motorcycle accident, get stitches. Or Eli struggling with colic as a baby. Or Charlie existing in this world as Charlie. Because <laughs> he's so adventurous 
You know, we used to always, we literally used to be scared that he would find a way to jump off something really high and then discover he can't actually fly. No matter how. You know, he's such an adventurous young guy. It sucks seeing Zoe fall out of the car, chip her teeth on the curb, crack her teeth. And then have to relearn how to eat and drink and have a psychologist come and try and like get her to eat again and drink again. It's hard. And you want to coddle them up and you want to protect them from this world, right? Anyone else? Like you want to protect your kids from, from the enemies that surround us. It's one thing to trust God. But honestly, for me, it's been a whole nother thing to trust him with my kids. To trust he'll take care of them. But I got to trust that God will provide for them like he provided for me. That he'll, that as he drew me back to him, that if they ever depart, he would draw them back too. I wish that scripture said, raise your kids in the ways of the Lord and, when, and, and, and then they'll never depart. That would be amazing. But it actually says, raise your kids in the ways of the Lord and when they're old, they'll not depart. We've got to trust that God will draw them back to him. It's hard to watch them suffer. It's hard to imagine them leaving my house and attend a Marxist indoctrination camp. Sorry, I mean, what do you call it? A university. But I gotta believe, I gotta believe that if God can rescue me, He can rescue them. If God can get me through the other side of my sin and my despair, He can get them through as well. If God can provide for me, He can provide for them. If He can heal me, He can heal them. If He can protect me from the chaos of this world, He can protect them from the chaos of this world. I had so much fear of the ways of the world, but I want to be like Abraham. Abraham said, even if Isaac die, God will raise him from the dead and invented a new idea. We can say, even if they stumble, God will bring them back. Even if they make a brutal and life-altering decision, God will redeem them. Even if their hearts get broken and crushed, God will heal them. Even if they suffer for a little while, God will alleviate them. Because that's what He's done for me. That's what He's done for you. And that's what He'll do for them. He's my healer, and He's their healer too. He's my deliverer, and He's their deliverer too. He forgave me, and He forgives them. He's my Savior, and He's their Savior. He's my provider, and He'll be their provider too. He's my strong tower and shelter in times of need, and He's their strong tower and shelter in times of need. He's been my refuge and my strength, and He will be their refuge and their strength. He's been my guide, and He will guide them through too. Amen. Mums and dads, it's time we graduate from the faith of a child alone to the faith as a parent. You know what? Nothing has actually helped me understand what it means to be a child of God more than having the faith of a father for my kids. Nothing has helped my faith in God more than having to trust God with my kids. To give God my fears. To give God my hurts. To give God my anxieties. To relinquish my perceived sovereignty to his real sovereignty. See, I'm a dad and I want my values to be honored in my family. And I'll teach them the right way to live and here's how you do it and here's the right way. But above that, to acknowledge that God is sovereign. 
I'm not abdicating my responsibilities as a father. I'm just acknowledging that God has got this. God has got them. Parents, I, I want you to hear me. We still got to be parents, but we've got to acknowledge that God has got this. And he's got them like he got you. I'll do all that God calls me to do. I'll have them in his house. Like I'm not going to be the father that has my kids in church once every six weeks. And then where are you in my kid's life, Lord? Why don't they have faith? You don't want that answered today. Why don't they have faith? Because you didn't show them faith. Why don't they value God's house? Because you didn't value God's house. It's that simple. It is true. But for yesterday, mercy. For yesterday, mercy. Amen. We'll just show them better tomorrow. I'll have them in God's house. I'll show them my faith. They know that we tithed, by the way, and above that. Some of them know what number that is so they can have faith too. I teach them His Word. I'll show them humility when I mess up. I'll say sorry because without humility, we can't even have salvation. I'll provide for them and I'll protect them. If someone breaks into our house, I'll bust a cap, pop, pop. I'll try not to enjoy it. Every dad has a little bit that wants someone to just try to break it. A little bit, right, Paul? Like just a little bit, you know? And uh, yeah, ladies, we know we're pretty weird. I pray for them every single day, and I will not stop. If you're estranged from your kids, you should still be praying. You should still be praying. I'll do what I'm called to do, but I do it knowing that God cares them more than I do. That they came from Him, that they are His. As I do my best, God will fill my gaps. So listen, listen, listen. When I pray for my kids a prayer of faith, I'm not praying for these kids, trying to remind Him of these people that, I don't know if you know about them, but over there, there they are. They're kind of, you know, do you remember that? No, 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 no. He created them. He's their father first, and I'm praying for them. I'm saying, Lord, these kids that you love that came from you first, they need you. So I'm asking you to do what I know you want to do. I'm partnering with you, Lord. I on earth am partnering with you in heaven to see your will be done in their lives. And I pray a prayer of faith over my kids. What prayer of faith do you need to pray over your kids today? What are you dealing with with your kids? Have they moved across the city, across the state, across the country, across the world? And do you have anxieties? Do you have fears? Let's cast our anxieties upon Him because He cares for them as well. The Scripture says because He cares for you, but He cares for them too. So let's cast our anxieties upon the Lord, amen. Let's not be the Christians that are scared of the world. It's crazy out there. And we're not going to be of the world, but we are called to live in the world and to influence the world. So we're going to pray prayers of faith. We're not going to pray 
We're not going to be afraid. We're not going to live in fear. We're going to make faith declarations over our kids and over our families. If they go to a public school, we're not going to be afraid. We're not scared of Moloch. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Come on now, right? We're not scared. We'll speak up. We're not silent. We're not afraid. We'll speak up. Here's the thing. Some of you believe and have heard from God that you need to keep your kids in public school. Well, if that's a word from God, don't do it in fear. Do it in faith and in prayer. Amen. Some of you have heard from God that I'm going to, I've got to send them to private school or I've got to homeschool or charter school. I'm going to homeschool, but whatever it is, don't do it in fear. Do it in faith. If your kids are in a public school, then pray, Lord, I asked you, you said to leave them there surrounded by an enemy. But I know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Lord God, I pray that you give them the strength to stand firm, to speak up, to not be silent, to be a bold uh, warrior for, for you, Lord, to show people your love, to show people your grace, and to show people the truth of who you are, Lord. I'm not scared. Devil, we're not scared. It may look like I'm surrounded. But I'm surrounded by you, Lord. And so are my kids. We, we pray bold, faith-filled prayers. Amen. So parents, I don't know what you have anxiety about. I don't know where your kids said, oh, they've gone off the rails. Guess what? Pray them back in Jesus' name. Oh, what if? We can't deal with what if. We can pray for what we want, though. We can pray for what we believe God's going to do in their life, though. Amen. You don't need to live in fear of the world that surrounds us. Time to step up in prayer and in faith. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to MyEternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at MyEternityChurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.